Well, glad to have you as we continue on with our series, Making Change, and especially welcoming those joining us online. And if you're joining us online and you don't have a program and a message guide, you can find that at scc.website forward slash bulletin, and you can download those if you want to follow along that way. Um, Over these four messages of our series, we are anticipating a brighter tomorrow by making changes today. And and that's a tough one. We can learn a lot. We can understand a lot. We can mentally get some things in our head. But uh, nothing really happens until we actually start making some changes. And even if it's just a baby step, a little step, we're anticipating that as we make change, we're going to find that life changes and we can anticipate that and we can enjoy that as we move on into the summer. Uh, Last week, we talked about how less is more. And uh, as we talked about less is more, we we kind of came face to face or maybe even had a little bit of a battle with this concept that is just out there everywhere we go. And the concept is this. It feels like more is always better and what you don't have is what you need. And that's kind of the low-grade fever out there, the hum in our society where we live. We're always looking to have just a little bit more better, and uh, we're looking to have what we, we need because we feel we don't have it. And that really starts to affect our lives. And when you and I buy into that, when you and I are leaning into that, maybe it's not even intentional, but it is kind of a hum of life. When you're leading into those kinds of things, Uh, you're going to find that the decisions you make create stress in your life. And really, when we often decide ourselves into stress, and this week we're talking about stress is bad, and we're going to see in a few moments that there's maybe a couple times that stress is good, but for the most part, stress is bad. We We don't like it. We like to stay away from it. But often, at least in my life, I find that many of the stressors in my life or because of decisions that I'm making or have made. And many of those decisions might even just be a way I look at life, and that creates a stress. And in those cases, stress is uncomfortable. It uh, gives you sometimes a short fuse, uh, brings you down. So we want to stay away from that kind of stress. And really, our society is just all about trying to say how to alleviate stress. And then at the same time, as they say that, They create stress. So just take a look at this little clip. Our lives can be demanding. We live in a society that believes they can solve their problems with a single pill. Our food is fast, unbalanced, and caffeine is our go-to. We look for short-term fixes. But unfortunately, these remedies can let us down. Looking for answers of Americans who suffer from stress? Do you feel overwhelmed and have difficulty concentrating? Wish you could reduce those stressful feelings and regain control? Well, now you can with Stress Block. Make breakfast and make the kids put pants on and get them to school. Me with Dave, I'm meeting with the other day. Did I just miss my exit? Just... Call an app to reduce your stress, to relax your mind.
Stanley Johnson. I've got a great family. I've got a four-bedroom house in a great community. Like my car? It's new. I even belong to the local golf club. How do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can barely pay my finance charges. Somebody help me. Somebody help me. I love Stanley. <laughs> you know, we decide ourselves into stress. Finances, we spend too much or save too little. Relationships, uh, we say the wrong thing or we don't say the right thing. Uh, dating stress, uh, we kind of know, but we go out on those dates anyway. Uh, marriage stress, uh, there were some kinds of things we were hoping that would be fixed once we got married, and they weren't, and uh, now we have that stress. Parenting, obvious, don't have to say much about that. Time crunch, uh, trying to figure out what the important things are and not having enough time for maybe them, and decisions that all of a sudden create that stress. Uh, there's the physical stresses. Uh, we can start getting to the age where two Big Macs uh, start to have an impact on you, and that was maybe 10, 20 years ago. Uh, not enough exercise, eating the wrong things, and now we're dealing with that. Uh, you know, the way we think. We embrace some concepts in our mind that we know. We're happy that nobody knows we think that way or have those thoughts, and uh, they create stress. Uh, there's entertainment choices that create stress. And then obviously there's uh, spiritual decisions that uh, create stress. Uh, we're not investing in our spiritual life. Uh, uh, maybe we've not said yes to Christ, and it's just kind of a tension there. We know we kind of should say yes to him, ask him into our life and follow him, but we're, gonna, we're just kind of keeping him at arm's length. But yet we come to that line of making that decision, and we pull back, and that's a decision of itself. And then there's those of us who have said yes to Christ, and, uh, uh, you know, Sunday mornings really honestly isn't enough, and you know that, but uh, it seems like Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, that, that's it. Uh, no community, no other Christians rowing in the same direction, no daily spending time with him, and, and uh, it just creates, it creates a tension, it creates a stress. And then obviously there's just, there's just no easy answers out there. There's not a pill we can take. There's, there's not an app that will uh, solve all those kinds of problems. So we find ourselves just stuck in this kind of stress. And not all stress, but because there are stresses that come into our life that we have no control over. But a lot of our stresses, again, are decisions that we made or the way we make decisions. And uh, part of that thinking is, again, this idea of our stuff what we want in life, uh, are trying to go for things, and uh, we find ourselves uh, really where uh, the writer of Hebrews says, uh, don't be obsessed with getting more. Yet we are obsessed with getting more. No, we would say we're not, but we are. And, and you could maybe even look at your checkbook if you still have one of those, or at least your register. Uh, maybe look at your credit card, your debit, where your debt is, and all these kinds of things, and uh, maybe where you spend your time. And all of a sudden you realize, wow, uh, my heart is that I'm not obsessed, but actually if you look at where I spend my resources, not just my financial resources, but my life is saying that I'm kind of in this idea about uh, getting more stuff, and I'm obsessed about that because all my energy is going in that direction. 
Now, the writer of Hebrews doesn't just stop with don't be obsessed with getting more. He goes on and says, be relaxed with what you have. Uh, don't have it anxious. Don't be panicky about it. Since God assured us, I'll never let you down. Never walk off and leave you. And that idea of walking off and leave you, the, the word never means actually never. God will never walk off and leave you. Uh, the idea of don't be obsessed is, is, is this kind of like a, a daily, regular battle. It can slide in around the edges. Some of us have lived a long enough life following Christ, and we, we think we've made some progress, and we have, and all of a sudden we see some of this obsession kind of sliding back in. Maybe it's a different thing, a different item, and it kind of gets around the edges, but rather be relaxed what what we have. Uh, when the writer of Hebrews uh, writes this letter, he's writing to Hebrews. He's writing to people with, from uh, Israel, uh, heritage, and Jews. And uh, this uh, idea of never leave you goes back to a passage in Deuteronomy. This isn't in your message guide. But we read, be strong, take courage, don't be intimidated. Don't give them a second thought because your God is striding ahead of you. He's right there with you. He won't let you down. He won't leave you. So when you and I are thinking about stress and the bad kind of stress and the stress that just brings us down and almost has a, keeps us in a frantic state, we need to realize that God is enough. And sometimes when we don't realize that, when we think one God isn't enough, uh, then nothing else will be enough either. Yet we try to fill these things in around the edges thinking, well, if I could just have this, do this, be this, you know, and then all of a sudden things would settle, and that just creates more of a turmoil for us. We need to be aware of that. You see, when it comes to all of this, uh, there's all kinds of opportunities around us. There's all kinds of nice things that call our name, and we've got to learn that as we see those things, as we admire those things, that we don't let them uh, become something we have to acquire. And it's hard. We've got neighbors, we've got friends, we've got Facebook, and we can see what they're doing. We can see vacations they're going on and all this kind of stuff. And, and we need to be in this place where we're content, we're satisfied with where we're at, what we have, so we can admire that, we can, we can celebrate with what somebody else has or acquired or the position or whatever, but we don't have to acquire it. It doesn't have to be ours. Yet again, there's this tension because there's so many things out there that we go, wow, I admire that, and now I want that. And again, it doesn't have to be a possession. It could be uh, just a way of life. It could be a relationship. It could be whatever, and we just start to have this kind of stress. But I tell you, there's one thing that uh, first I admired, and then I wanted to really acquire. Hey! See the guy taking my little girl out, huh? Yep. Huh. You know, why don't you go ahead and take my new car? Thanks, Pops. Go ahead, baby. Watch this. <laughs> Boom! Favorite spot? I'm taking you home. Why? Car Finder on the Hyundai Genesis. Back so soon? Here you go, sir. Because a dad's got to do what a dad's got to do. 
Honey, what'd you guys do tonight? You know, there's some things you admire and then you want to acquire. And uh, if you have daughters, you want that. You want that car finder. Um, But, uh, you know, again, this whole thing, we see so many things out there, and it's like, I need that. I have to have that. And when we either pull the lever and bring that into our life, we can find that that creates stress. Or just even seeing it from a distance or even maybe a little up close can create that kind of stress. And this isn't a new thing. Human beings have been dealing this with, with this from day one, this idea of satisfaction, contentment, trying to better yourself. Where is that line? Where is that good? Where is that healthy? Uh, Moses, when he was finishing up the Ten Commandments, ends with the Tenth Commandment, and it deals with some of these things. And what's interesting is some actually say if you read the first nine commandments and you actually apply them, number ten is actually an expression of what happens in your life. You have contentment. So if you live those out, this is what happens. But uh, some of us are familiar, this is the 10th commandment. Uh, no lusting after your neighbor's house or your wife, or wife uh, husband or servant or maid or ox or donkey. Don't set your heart on things that is your neighbor's. And that really is the battle as we set our hearts on things. And rather than setting our hearts on God, we set our hearts on all this other stuff. And that creates this stress in our life. And we decide ourselves into those stresses as we actually try to fulfill what our heart is set on. So as we think about this idea of coveting, uh, we've kind of danced around it, but this is it. Is coveting makes us vulnerable to stress. When you set your heart on something that's not for you, and again, it doesn't have to be a possession. It can be a position at work. It can be a kind of rhythm to life. It can be status. It can be power. It can be all these other things. When when we covet that, it makes us vulnerable to stress. And so as we take inventory of our lives and try to figure out where the stresses are coming from, we have to ask ourselves, where is it in this idea of wanting something? and having something, and where are the decisions in our life that actually create our stress? We talked about this in the last couple of weeks, this uh, verse out of uh, Luke 12, 32. Don't be afraid of missing out. And I know there's been some times in my life where I've made some purchases, or I've done some things because I've been afraid of missing out. Yeah, you've gone to some places. Uh, I remember in high school, I might have gone to some parties, and I really didn't want to go to the party, but I was afraid of missing out. I bought something. I was afraid of missing out. I uh, saw something on sale, and it was almost like I couldn't afford not to buy it, but it wasn't free, but I was afraid of missing out. What happens in two or three years when that thing costs that amount? See, it makes us vulnerable to stress. Passage goes on, or the verse goes on to say, you're my, dear, you're my dearest friends, this is Jesus speaking, the Father wants to give you the very kingdom itself. What Jesus is saying, you don't have to be afraid of missing out. You don't have to be afraid of having this huge discontentment that drives stress into your life, because God, your heavenly Father, if you've said yes to Christ, is going to give you the kingdom itself. You're a child of the King. And because you're a child of the king, you have the, the, the inheritance, the resources of being a kid that has 
the father, his father being the king of the universe. Now, what does that really look like? How does that express itself? We could spend a lot of time trying to figure that out, but still, it's the idea that you have this inheritance, and you get glimpses of it here and now, but in eternity, you will experience it. So you and I don't have to be afraid of missing out. We don't have to let coveting drive our decisions so that we have unnecessary stress. And when we do, there's things like exhaustion. We just keep going after, going after, going after. I remember when the girls first became nurses, and for them, this was a big surprise being in, like, real jobs, you know, and that kind of a thing. I remember the first time they figured out that they had a vacation coming up, and they couldn't believe it. This just shows you how we take things for granted. They, they could not believe it that they got paid when they were on vacation. They thought they would have two weeks off and just not work and not get paid. And then when they said, no, you, you can actually get paid for not coming to work, they just couldn't believe it. It was like, I can't believe we, we don't have to go to work and we get paid for it. It's just interesting. But uh, what was also interesting is they would have other peers working there, and the peers were always looking to pick up extra shifts. And they couldn't understand that because as new nurses and young, uh, they thought that the resources they were getting, the finances they were getting, was wonderful. How could anyone run out of money if you, you know, but these other people in their place were just, anytime they were desperate and they were exhausted, these other employees, these co-nurses were exhausted because they were just going after all this stuff. And it, it, you could have doubled their salary and they still would have been exhausted. They just spent, spent, spent because they just coveted everything. And so it causes exhaustion. Obviously, it causes debt for some of us. Some of us, uh, you know, have been into this idea that we get something, and some of those uh, are, you know, three easy payments, and that, you know, three months, and we're done with it, but some are like five payments, five years of payments. Some of uh, those, those issues are seven years of payments, whatever it is, and all of a sudden, we have this stress that won't go away. Um, also, there's just the worry that goes along with that. Uh, the worry of the purchase, the worry of the thing, and, and we're just pursuing it, and we, we're anxious about it. Uh, there's also the conflicts that come up. Uh, you know, if you're married, uh, you, you might have a different uh, desire, and one person feels fine about spending this much on a car payment, and the other person feels fine spending this much on a new bathroom or whatever, and, and the amounts of money are about the same, but one thinks this is necessary, one thinks this, and then you're just after it, and it creates conflict. Or it creates conflict when you see people around you enjoying things that you wish you could have. And actually, if you went into their, into their life, you'd find out that they're, they're like Stanley. They're up to their eyeballs. They just, you just don't know that they're up to their eyeballs. And uh, again, it creates, it creates all kinds of conflict. And then obviously with this, there's this, just this, this gray, low-grade fever of dissatisfaction. And uh, all of us have experienced that when we've kind of put our weight in a decision, or especially into a purchase, we get it, and it's not soon afterwards that all of a sudden that item that we're, like, giving some of our life for uh, just, just, just doesn't cut it anymore. And we're like, wow, why am, I, why am I spending my life on this thing? And it's just this, this dissatisfaction. Because the reality is, and we saw this last week, people do not get life from the many things they own. You don't get life. I don't get life from the things I own, from the things I have. 
It, doesn't, it actually takes life away. Yet, we live in a culture, and I'm not picking on the culture. I love where we live. I love the access. I, I love, uh, you, you know, just that we're, we're blessed. But we have to be careful that our things don't own us. It does not produce life. It actually, these things take life. So how do we, what do we do? Uh, well, first of all, we've got to realize that there is this idea that uh, there are some dissatisfactions that are good, and they're okay, and uh, they're actually good for us. It's not every stress is bad. I know in my life, if I didn't get stressed about Sunday was coming, I wouldn't start working until like 7 o'clock Sunday morning on my sermon. I go, oh, what am I going to talk about today? Let's, oh, let's just pull some, you know, that stress is good. It, it causes me to do something. So there are some, some good stresses. Uh, they're, they're necessary for life. So dissatisfaction that leads me to improve would be one of those dissatisfactions that's good for life. Uh, that you don't settle. That you take inventory of who God has made you to be, who he wants you to be, how he wants you to function, and you go for it. And you improve. You just don't stay where you are. It's not you're trying to gain self-worth. It's not trying because of any other reason. You just want to be who God has made you to be. You see, we need to realize that God will not allow you to be content in your complacency. If you're a Christ follower, God has a plan for your life. It will look different from somebody else's life, but God has a plan for your life. So when you and I become complacent, when you and I, in a sense, take the life that's been given to us and don't use it well, if you've said yes to Christ and God is a part of your life, the Holy Spirit lives within your life, you're going to have some tension. And that's, that's a good tension. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the difference between guilt, self-guilt, the idea of conviction, and, and, and that, that's, a, that's a good thing. So if you're a Christ follower and you're just kind of I hate to say it this way, not really using your life. You might even say wasting components of your life. Uh, God's going to let that sit well in your heart, no matter who you are. No matter what age or stage of your life, God has something for you, and it's not complacency. We read in Proverbs 132, For the backsliding of the naive. Backsliding is the idea that someone's turned away and is kind of walking away from God, uh, walking in a different direction, not honoring God. Uh, the backsliding of the naive will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. And that word fools isn't that someone who doesn't have clarity of mind isn't a good thinker. That word fool is tied to uh, morality. It's tied to character. So the complacency of someone who lacks character in being who they ought to be, honoring God, that ends up destroying them. So God's not going to let us sit idly by and enjoy a complacent life. So when it's caused to improve, I remember when I uh, was talking to someone the other day, and we were talking about end of high school things, and uh, when I was wrapping up high school, I did not want to go to college. I, and again, college may not be the thing for everybody, but I, I didn't want to go. I liked just working at home, having a girlfriend, uh, getting to use my parents' car. This was great. Meals. I think my mom was still doing my laundry then. Isn't that terrible? And, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Life was pretty good. And my dad said, no, you need something more in your life. He was in a position where he said, I will pay for the first year, but you're going to go. 
And so I wanted to go. I, no, I didn't want to go. I ended up going. But again, that idea of being complacent, not improving yourself. There are times that we are called to do that. There's also the idea of dissatisfaction that is really a holy discontentment. There are moments in life that it's just not an improvement, but it's something that just grabs your heart and you're discontented. It's, it's a holy discontentment. It's what you feel when you watch the news and you see injustice happening around the world. I hope as a Christ fellow, that bothers you, that you see that injustice. You see those uh, tragedies happening at the hands of other people, and that gets you lit, if you will, gets you irritated. I challenge you to be aware of what's going on in your world. Get the news, read the news, find some good sources, find different sources. And when you're reading through that, uh, have it with an eye to pray for what's going on in this world. I hope it creates a holy discontentment. Talk causes you want to take action. Probably 45 years ago, uh, there were some people in the Romulus between the lakes area that had a holy discontentment that they wanted a, a church. And they started a church together, and they sacrificed, and they, they moved. They wanted a church, and here we are. Some of you know the story. It started at the fire hall, then the church right around the corner. It was in that location. Then they built this place, on and on and on. But there was a holy discontentment. They wanted this kind of a church in this community to touch people's lives. The Moorlings in Papua New Guinea, holy discontentment. They wanted to see people in far-off places that it wasn't easy to reach, reached. So they lived that out. And it's not that they have to be these big, holy, uh, big things. Uh, some of it can be just the way you contribute. You, you see, uh, you know, sometimes you support one of these children through world relief, and you sponsor a child, and you say, you know, I am discontent with the condition that that child lives in. And so because I'm discontent, I'm not just going to go click when I see those on the commercial. I'm going to do something about it. I love hearing some of the stories where some of you were foster parents. You had a holy discontentment that there was a child that needed love and support, maybe even just for a few weeks, a month, a year, and you welcomed them into your home. That's holy discontentment. David asked the men standing near him, this is David and Goliath, David's on the field, or come out to see his brothers, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? That's holy discontentment. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Yes, David was aware of the benefits of taking out Goliath, but he was more aware, more offended by what this man was saying about God, and that caused him to move into holy discontentment. For those of us who remember Pipei the Sailor Man, anyone remember him? Now it just shows, oh, good, I saw a couple of younger people. Stood. Okay, good. Whew, you're really getting old. Sometimes I'll say, do you remember Leave it to Beaver? And people are like, what are you talking about? But anyway, uh, Popeye the Sailor, what would he say? Eventually he'd say, I can't stand this no more. And then he'd go, do, 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 you know, and eat some spinach and up because of his muscles and go save, you know, olive oil and all those kinds of things. This is the kind of thing we're talking about, holy discontentment. There ought to be some things in the Christ follower's life that get you fired up. That's why a team almost every year goes down to Honduras. They don't like seeing what 
those kids are experiencing without some nutritional things that eventually point to the love of Jesus, holy discontentment. So how do we change? How do we, how do we grow in this area of learning contentment? So we've talked about uh, just the stress that it can create. Uh, we could talk about uh, the discontentment that is healthy. And then there are these things that uh, are not healthy, so we need to learn to be content. We need to kind of go in a different direction. We need to start looking that way. And, and that's all a part of this process. And a part of that process, uh, um, Paul talks about, I'm telling you this, but not because I need something. I've learned to be satisfied with what I have and whatever happens. We could just take that verse, stick it on your refrigerator and go, that's what I need to hold on to. Learn to be satisfied, be okay with what I have and whatever happens. But again, Paul learned this. He grew into this. We read on, I know how to live when I'm poor and when I have plenty. I've le- that's interesting. Learned how to live when he has plenty. I have some friends that have plenty, and they've learned how to live. They're extremely generous. Amazing that they do that. It's not for them. So learning how when you don't have much, when you have plenty. I've learned the secret of how to live through any kind of situation when I have enough to eat or when I'm hungry, when I have everything I need or when I have nothing. In verse 13, we usually look at verse 13 as I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We look at verse 13 as like all of life, but it's interesting. It is tied to this concept of being content, being satisfied. Christ is the one who gives me the strength I need to do whatever I must do. So where does our contentment, where does our satisfaction come from? It comes from our relationship with God. We've not set our heart on these other things. We've set our heart on him. And when we set our heart on him, he gives us the strength to function and to navigate wherever we may find ourselves. So real quickly, three things to help us begin the process of increasing satisfaction, increasing contentment into our lives. First of all, resist comparing yourself to others. Think about Stanley. If you drove down Stanley Street, would have every house been the same? New car in the garage, pool in the back, all those things. Is it all because they're comparing each other? And if you went down the street, they're all stressed out. Because they say, Stanley has this, I'm going to have this. And it goes, goes back and it just keeps going, stressor, stressor, stressor. Resist comparing yourself to others. Resist comparing yourself to your possessions, what's going on. Don't do that. Paul writes this. He says, for we should never dare to compare ourselves with people who have based their worth on self-condemnation. I can never get that word right. Help me out. Condemnation, yes. They change themselves against and compare themselves with one another. It just shows they don't have any sense. This idea of comparing ourselves, comparing our abilities, our talents. We look at another person and we feel bad because they seem to be on it and we're not. No, don't do that. Be who God has made you to be. Don't refuse to improve yourself, grow, but don't be in this match with somebody else. 
When it comes to our finance, you need to realize your net worth has nothing to do with your self-worth. How long will it take you to know that? Go to a graduation uh, uh, you know, a reunion, and uh, one of the things you're looking at is who drives into the graduation reunion with what car. You're trying to compare yourself. I, I, I didn't really think it was going to be real, but I think we, I went to my 20th, and I couldn't believe the stuff. You know, I do this. I, I mean, it was just like it wasn't even hidden. People were wearing their stuff and their, who they were and how far they were ahead in life all on their sleeves, and it was all about that. You don't compare yourself with others. A second thing is to rejoice in what you have and who you are. Rejoice in it. Be thankful for who you are. Be thankful for who God has made you to be. Do you start your prayer time with, thank you, God? Or do you start your prayer time with, I need, I want, I want? And again, God wants us to come to him with our needs. But it changes everything when we start to digest and come to him with what he's done wonderfully in our life. So we rejoice in what you have and who you are. Ecclesiastes 5.19, yes, we should make the most of what God gives. So that means enjoy it, both the bounty and the capacity to enjoy it. Accepting what's given and delighting in the work, it's God's gift. In other words, who you are, where you are, take inventory and enjoy it. Celebrate that. Rejoice. Yes, you can find somebody who's just a little bit farther along than you, but don't let that take away the joy of what God is doing and has done in your life. Contentment is not getting what you want, but enjoying what you have. I mean, just take a look when the next time you go in your house and just kind of look around your apartment and just enjoy what you have. Be thankful for what you have. It helps us be content. It helps us lessen our stress. If I am thankful for my car, for my stuff, then I'm less apt to buy other stuff and I'm less apt to be stressed out. Let that thanksgiving permeate your life. Also, release what you have to help others. Release what you have to help others. You have been blessed to bless others. It's just not for your consumption. It's just not for my consumption. A few years ago, I told you a story about air conditioners. We, when we moved from Concord to here, uh, every room basically, we were downtown, had an air conditioner in it. We had tons of air conditioners, and one of our friends who was in between houses had bought this fancy, smancy, dancy air conditioner. I mean, it was like, you know, super duper. It's like 12,000 BTUs, if that means anything to you. It was like you stand in front of it, and you can make ice cones, you know? It's just like... It was awesome. So when we moved here, we didn't need it. So it went in the shed. It went in the storage thing with the other air conditioners. And all of a sudden, there was this need. And I was like, what am I going to do with that air Should I lend that air conditioner? What I, what, do I need like five air conditioners sitting in a shed Oh, I should probably lend them, I should probably give them one of the little junkier ones, you know, the ones where the wings come out and after one use they're like broken and they don't really fit in the window. This honking air conditioner had like steel things that came out. I mean, it was, it was just fantastic. And, 
and this isn't to, to give me any credit because it was God hammering on me, said, Dave, give the honking air conditioner. But Lord, they're not even going to really care about what a nice air conditioner Give them that air conditioner. Just don't lend it to them. Give it to them. You don't need it, but I like having it just in case. No, you can get rid of that one. You can give it. You see, God gives us things to release and help others. I guarantee you, you have something in the shed. Maybe not in your real shed, physical shed, but in your life that you have there that you could release to help someone else. Maybe it's just, maybe it's time. Maybe it's care. Uh, encouragement. A note. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's a possession. But you have something you can release to help others. When we are a conduit for what we have, we find ourselves more content and less unsatisfied. Command those who are rich in the things of life not to be proud, but to place their hope not in such uncertain things as riches, but in God, who generously gives us everything for our enjoyment. Command him to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share with others. I said, that's great. Are you ready to share with others? others. When you are, you'll find that contentment is a part of your life. As we put all these things together, as we think about um, resisting comparing ourselves with others, as we think about rejoicing with what God's blessed us with, with what we have and being, uh, you know, passing that on and releasing that, We really get to this bottom line, and contentment doesn't mean you have the best of everything. It means you make the best of everything. See, it's not that you have the best of everything. It's you make the best of everything you have, what I have. And then you find yourself finding the stress starts to dissipate. For some of us, we need to be on this path and hitting it hard for, for, for a few weeks, for a few months, before the stress will start to dissipate. Some of us, it can be an instant release of that stress. But to be on that path so you and I don't have to have all this stress and be up to our eyeballs. Would you please pray with me? Father, we first want to just thank you for the gift of your son and how he changes everything. And Lord, I would ask that the person here that's really just wrestling with dissatisfaction, uh, that's not happy with where they're at, what they have, and all those kinds of things, that you would help them to see what you've put into their life. That they would see the value they have. And that in turn, they could use that to bless others and receive the blessing of being in that place. Father, there's so many things in life that can create stress. So many decisions that we make that create stress. Help us to roll back the dial where we're making less and less of those decisions, which includes the area of being content rather than being disconnected. And Father, I ask if there's anyone here that has never said yes to you, 
to start this walk with you, to start this understanding, contentment, to have your spirit working in their life, that even now they would say, Father, I want you in my life. I choose to follow you. So, Lord, we thank you this morning. We rejoice in your goodness. We sang about many things we can rejoice in. So we just don't want to sing about it. We want that to actually be the vibe of our life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.